Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining me for another episode of your favorite occult podcast. And if you happen to be a person that was raised Catholic, you are definitely welcome to listen to this. I hope that joke wasn't bad. Anyway, <laughs> tonight's guest is Alwyn Dawn, and she is an author. She has an upcoming book titled Paganism for Prisoners. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks for showing up on here. This is going to be really cool. So um, I want to go ahead and, and just like kind of give people like the idea where they can work. Can they find you? Where are you? <laughs> um, as far as social media goes, um, I can mm -hmm. be found on uh, Facebook at Alwyn Dawn Official, A-W-Y-N-D-A-W-N Official, mm -hmm. um, on Instagram. Um, and Twitter, I'm under Alwyn Dawn, super easy to find me. And mm -hmm. then um, my book can actually be found on Llewellyn.com, Barnes & Noble, Amazon, and probably a few other places even I don't know about. Definitely, yeah, because like Llewellyn, they're, they're really big. They've been around for, I think they're probably like, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, maybe the first publisher to publish this kind of material in English, right? Oh, I, I think so. I don't know if they yeah. were the very first, but um, I want to say like a hundred years or so at least. About a hundred years, yeah. That's pretty cool. And and I noticed like on your um your and like your your forward was Christopher Penzak wrote the for the forward to your book. That's pretty cool. Yeah, and it's it's amazing because I don't know Christopher Penzak personally. Mm -hmm. Um, so I just reached out to him um because he does some work with prison ministries too. Um, mm -hmm. through the Temple of Witchcraft, and he, he loved the idea. And so I'm really grateful that he was willing to, to write the foreword, and it's a beautiful foreword. Yeah, it was really, it's really cool. And it's a great book, so people, check it out. But um, I want to, like, I mean, it's, it's, a real, it's something that I don't normally see in, like, uh, spiritual and pagan type of books, you know, for prisoners. Um, so do you mind if I ask you, like, your story kind of, your story behind that? Um, sure. So um, I went to prison and mm -hmm. when I was in prison, it was um, the books that I had access to, a lot of which were Llewellyn books um, that really helped me um, to make it through my time that I was incarcerated. And then um, when I got out, I started um, teaching with, with a high priestess. Um, I got my first degree and my second degree initiation, re recently my third degree initiation, and um, it, I ended up becoming a volunteer for the Department of Corrections and going mm -hmm. in and I noticed that, that the people who were in my classes were like starving for the knowledge, mm -hmm. like they were just so open to it and so receptive and seeing those light bulbs go off in their head, like it's an indescribable experience. And so the idea became, how can I get this information to more people? Um, because while it's great to have books in prison, like they should have as many pagan and Wiccan and metaphysical books in prisons as possible. Um, there's a lot of things that they can't do. Like they can't have an Athomic. Um, mm -hmm. A lot of times they can't meet, depending on where they are, they even have to fight to get their faith acknowledged. Um, so it was really a labor of love to write mm -hmm. this book and 
hopefully it'll not only serve as um, a guide for people who are incarcerated, but for people who are considering taking a program into the prison and who are like, I don't know where to start, this can give them a good starting point. Yeah, um, I want to I want to kind of ask you about that because you know, like the the sections in the book with the where you have the rituals laid out and stuff, and uh, I, you would put like uh, things like anathema or not anathema, like what was it like um, like oil or water or you know, oil, like liquids like if available <laughs> things like that, you yeah. know, and it had me thinking like what's what is available in there. You know? <laughs> Well, it really depends on the state. So I, I was fortunate in um, the state that I was incarcerated in it is a little bit more forward thinking that than some of the other states. So okay. I was allowed to buy a chalice. It was little, you know, mm -hmm. a couple inches tall, made of wood, basically an egg cup, but it was a chalice. And I was able to buy um, certain herbs and, you know, um, certain oils in small quantities. So there was a limited amount of things I was allowed to have access to, but it, it was better than nothing. It was a step in the right oh, yeah. direction. What, what I think is pretty interesting, because like, I've never I've never been incarcerated, um, but like I, I I heard stories like this. And actually, I don't I haven't heard very many stories like this, but I've heard stories of people uh, being incarcerated and, you know, they talk about the items that are there is extremely limited, you know, space is limited, items are very limited. Like, I think I was um, reading Damien Eccles, you know, because he was incarcerated for like a really long time. And he, he spoke about using like a paper cup as like a chalice. Yeah. That's, like, that's like all he had. That, that kind of reminded me of, of, of your of your story. But um, I was interested in knowing like the this is probably going to be a pretty lengthy topic it could be uh the psychological effects of being incarcerated and like learning the craft like actually learning and absorbing it while you're there with all the different things that are going through your mind like like the bits of the past and stuff what, what was that like for you um so i had already had um some exposure to um to witchcraft and paganism before I went into prison, but I was not living my life in a way that um, honored the gods. And so when I went in, like something you have an abundance of in prison is time. It's pretty much the only thing you have an abundance of. And so um, my perspective might be a little different because like when, when I was incarcerated, um, I got put to work in the fields, you know, picking pumpkins and, and harvesting and doing this hard manual labor out in the earth. And um, even though like it, it was horrible, <laughs> it was really bad. Um, it wasn't all bad because I, I felt more connected to the goddess and to the gods than I had in a really, really long time. And so um, there's actually these blue books that you can buy. Um, and I, I filled them like every free moment I had, I, I filled them because I, I was tired of just chasing things that weren't filling me up. You know, um, mm -hmm. my background is substance abuse. Um, that's one of the things that got me incarcerated. And so, you know, being there with myself, I, I really had the time to take a look at 
what I was doing and what I wanted my life to look like. And when I saw that they had books on Wicca in there, like I started copying pages after pages and I still have those books. They're actually right here. Um, I still have those books because they're a good reminder that like at that time, I just like, I wanted whatever I could get. I, I wanted anything from the universe to give me some direction, some sense of purpose. And, um, you know, it, I find it ironic that I had to go to prison to feel free. But it was the first time in my whole entire life that I really felt free because all I had to do was, you know, wake up, go pick pumpkins, come back, shower. And then on, on the weekends, I read these books. And it's what I had. And wow. yeah, it just, um, I think if I hadn't had those books, you know, I, I might have still found my way, you know, to, to witchcraft and to, to paganism, but I don't think I would have had quite the head start that, that I did from just filling those pages. And it was a labor of love too. Like this, I treated it like it might be the only time I ever had access to these books was in prison. So I better get everything I can out of them. And it really, um, it, it started the, the whole path, this whole journey that led to writing. Wow. So um, did you find an abundance of, this might be a, a dumb question, but I'll ask, did you find like an abundance of pagan books or was it like mostly not really like Christian Muslim, Muslim books, maybe things like that, Bibles and stuff? Uh, well, so here's, here's something to understand is um, five books in prison is an abundance in a lot of places. Oh, um, okay. Not all books, but like, a handful of pagan books is like that's a lot um a lot of prisons have to put their pagan books in the general library and not the religious library because things happen to them in the religious library which is really sad um but th there's hundreds of bibles right there's hundreds of books on monotheistic practices on judaism mm -hmm. on the different on catholicism yeah hundreds like a whole library full and so by comparison no there's not a, a lot of books on magical practices um and and it's a shame you know um because even now in 2021 we still have to fight to be taken seriously as a faith i mean technically at least in my state it's called northwest european pagan and so that encompasses hellenistic Norse, um, Druid, there's some other like Central European, just like if it's not Christian, it goes in that mix. And, and in some ways that's good because you have to have a certain number of a faith group in order to hold ritual, but it's really limiting when you're like, oh yeah, no, we take care of the pagans and you have like one book on, um, on Greek traditions, one book on Egyptian traditions, none on Norse traditions, you know, it's very limiting. So um, it's an area that could really be improved. Most definitely. I mean, it, it, it actually makes me think of this documentary I saw, like, God, like almost 15 years ago called the Dama Brothers. Have you ever seen that or heard of it? I haven't. It's a documentary about um, these two Vipassana teachers. They're Buddhist Vipassana teachers. 
and they went to a prison that was somewhere in Alabama. I don't remember where. And it, it just caused this huge uproar. And they were just teaching meditation. They weren't really teaching anything else. They were just they did like uh, something like a, a 10 day because, you know, usually Vipassana. I've never taken a Vipassana. Um, my Buddhist meditation background has always been Zazen. Which is a little bit different, but um, in the Vipassana, they do like 10 day retreats generally. So you had like the two like Dhamma teachers teaching meditation to like, I don't know, like over 100 inmates. And they're in the deep south in the in the Bible Belt. And these guys are like murderers and like, I mean, like hardcore backgrounds, you know, like they they snapped and like might kill somebody of like they tell your they tell their stories in the documentaries really. It's a really beautiful documentary and um it was very successful for the inmates it actually had opened them up to like a whole nother um realm of ex- within human experience for them but like the the what is it the the who was the head of the prison was it like the moment blank the warren, the warren. <laughs> yeah the right yeah he he was kind of like i don't want them learning buddhism you know <laughs> and cut their program so then the the inmates were forced to like you know get up really early in the middle of the night to do like cleaning and then they would just like meditate in between then you know so um that that's what i was going to kind of go next with you on this um with questions was like did you have the uh being where you were located not being in a deep south did you still have a have a difficult time did you have to like conceal your faith in there kind of hide who you were or was it like not as strict for you it, it wasn't as um as strict like okay. the the prison where i was at the um faith and volunteer program coordinator is very like welcoming and like wants people to be able to express their faith she advocates um for okay. a lot of the women there so that wasn't my experience. Like it wasn't the first thing I told people, right? It wasn't like, "Hi, nice to meet you." I'm, I'm, I'm a witch. <laughs> but um, I never felt unsafe because of it, and I, I know that's not the experience for for everybody, um, especially in the Bible Belt. You know, where books on paganism get thrown away. You know, they just never even make it into the library. Um, so for me, it wasn't something that I experienced and I even had my, my Sally was Catholic. And so we had um, some very interesting discussions, but I, I still never felt um, like I didn't feel like I needed to broadcast it. But if somebody mm-hmm. felt out, I was found out I wasn't worried about my safety at all. So. Well, that's good. That's really good yeah. because like it, it like, reading your book and thinking about just thinking about that kind of had me sort of feeling a little nervous to be honest <laughs> because it's a really serious thing you know like there's still you know even in the 21st century a lot of people just really don't understand like pagan practices like they they hear that word and it just sounds like it's it's all automatically like a bad a bad word so it it's there's a lot of there's a huge harvest right now um for education which is why like your book is really needed, <laughs> you know, yeah. this material is really, it's, there's a place for it, which is really good though. So another thing I was going to ask you about, um, hope you don't mind me asking about the prison exper- experiences a little bit. <laughs> I just kind of want to get into like the psychology a little bit though, because like, so you had a lot of time, you're, you're, um, it was quiet a lot. So 
and some of the practices, like um, not not so much the external ceremonies that you that you would do, but did you find yourself in certain situations? Did you like improve your own magic practices because of like the limit? Would you say like the the limitations that you had was that like a something that strengthened how you practice a little bit? Kind of yes and no. So okay. at the time, I was very new, right? I didn't know anything. Okay. You know, um, I couldn't have told you, you know, how to cast circle at that point. Um, so there was a lot of meditation. Like every lockdown, I just kind of laid there. And I'm the kind of meditator who images just come to me, right? Like I have a really hard time quieting my mind. So I just let everything in. And that works for me. So um, for me, it was a lot about my personal growth. And, and change and and that aspect. And so I think intrinsically, there's a part of that that improves your magic. Like if, if you're willing to look at yourself, to look at especially dark parts of yourself, which mm -hmm. everybody in prison has, I guarantee it. Um, if you're willing to look at those parts, it's going to improve your magical abilities. Um, my philosophy is that, you know, there's, there's a lot of people who are like love and light and love and light and love and light. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I, I think that we're really depriving ourselves when we ignore this other side, the dark and the light, and they both have, have a place. And I, I think because I was able to look at that, that it really makes my brightness that much brighter, you know, mm -hmm. because I've, I've acknowledged that darkness. And so it was a start in prison of this, this path that, you know, um, over the next few years really picked up and, and I learned so much in the next few years. And so a lot of being incarcerated was about surrender and about acceptance and about really looking at the choices I had made and, and why. And mm -hmm. it just really opened up the floodgate for me so that when I got out and, and I was willing um, and a teacher got put in my path that I was able to just run with it. So it I kind of look at prison as like clearing away a lot of the crud. You know, there was still a lot more, <laughs> there was a lot more, but um, it cleared away enough of the crud that I was able to start walking on a path and really appreciate it. Excellent. Okay. So, um, and obviously this must have improved like your, your relationship to like source to the deities you have and things like that as well. Right. Uh, oh, absolutely. So, yeah. Yeah, they got me, they really got me through it because if I'd felt like I was truly alone in prison, I, I think I would have snapped. Like, no, believing that there was something, even though what goddess and God looked like to me back then is different than it looks like now. But knowing that there was something there mm -hmm. really helped pull me through. That's great. How was it, um, what was different about it back then compared to now? Now I have a, a deeper understanding. Um, so I had a lot of anger towards um, the Judeo-Christian religions I had been brought up with. So like I did not use the word God back then, like could not do it, would not do it, refused to do it. Um, you know, and that was part of my process. I was like, I'll, you know, accept the goddess, but that's as far as I'm going. And now that 
now I see God and goddesses expanding beyond gender. You know, it's it's both and neither. And now I see, you know, if if I believe that the gods are everywhere, then they have to be within us too. And so being able to understand that that your face is the face of God and my face is the face of God and everybody's face is the face of God, that's really how it's changed for me. Not saying that I am divine, but I am part of the divine. And um, that's really deepened my connection recently is to understand that it's not some external force that's playing with me like a puppet, but something that flows in me and through me and all around me. Excellent. Okay. So, uh, but in the beginning, it was a little bit more, um, you kind of, you resonated more with the feminine aspect of it. Yes. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Um, in the beginning, I was, um, so tainted towards any sort of male deity that mm -hmm. I wasn't even willing to look at, at male deity. Um, and that's, I, I find that that's common, actually. A lot of people, especially when they're new to pagan practices, have this adversity to, to the male aspect, you know, because of various experiences we've had with Judeo-Christian upbringings and things like that. So, um, yeah, it, it was quite limited in, in the beginning. It was just enough to get me through, but really understanding the power of belief and the power of the divine is something that like, is still changing for me. Like, it'll probably be a little bit different for me tomorrow than it is today. Yeah, I, I, I find that with myself personally, just like just kind of, you know, I mean, this is we're talking about concepts that are, if we can say greater than ourselves. I know that's kind of a cliche way to describe it. But um, yeah, deity connections and that kind of work, it always seems to be kind of ever changing if a person's really, really doing it, I guess. But um, what was your like, if you had a breakthrough moment that kind of that like an aha moment of like, okay, this is, you know, there's a unity between male and female. And, you know, I'm not afraid of this aspect anymore. Like, was there like a moment that kind of occurred with you where, where you, where you start to see that, or was it just kind of like slowly evolving? And then you just didn't really realize that you've had a different experience or opinion with it. It was kind of both. Okay. So, um, as I mentioned, um, substance abuse is in my history. And so um, I belong to a 12-step fellowship. And so like somewhere going through step work, um, which in my mind is a lot like shadow work, um, somewhere, I can't tell you specifically where, but somewhere along that line, I, I started to see that beautiful balance and the sacredness of both male and female, and that it didn't really matter if you use the term God or goddess, because you're really talking about the same thing. Okay. That makes sense. So, um, but um, the, the program itself was kind of like a form of shadow work a little bit. I've never heard it put like that before. Uh, yeah, I really haven't either, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> it definitely is. It, it, it definitely is. Um, anybody who hasn't done it, you know, might not know that. But um, yeah, 12 steps is definitely shadow work because you go in and you scoop yourself out and you like take a look at the pieces and then you put some of it back in there. And like um, the divine is included every step of the process. So uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely shadow work. Oh, 
You said you said the divine is included. Is that like like the traditional like God, like of the Bible, or is it just like anybody's form of divinity? It's anybody's form. Oh, it is. Um, okay. A lot of people, uh, yeah, a lot of people use God, but um, it really doesn't matter. It it works no matter what your higher power. Is. Okay. All right. Yeah, because like I don't know, it's just um, God seems to be like an a an evolving term in this like new time. You know what I mean? Like when I when personally when yeah. I was growing up, I just heard God, and I just thought <laughs> when when someone said God, they were either talking about the Bible. Or the Quran, <laughs> at least for me, you know, <laughs> not so much these other ones. And then getting older, you see like different names. You're just like, what's going on here? It's all these different names. Krishna, this is kind of neat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but I think this... when you get down to, to the core of it, they're all essentially the same. Like only our perceptions really change. Okay. Yeah, I kind of I kind of see it like that. So another thing I wanted to kind of ask you, and this is maybe getting getting in the the more uh, woo woo realm of it of it, which the listeners of this podcast really seem to like, and that's great because <laughs> we, we go there a lot. Um, did you do like astral work when you were like during lockdown? Like, did you find yourself like leaving your body to do kind of spell work, or were you more kind of like? Because like sometimes like when I think about when I think about incarceration person, when I just think about the idea of it, I'm like, well, it sucks to be in one space, but you can always kind of leave <laughs> if you're adept, if you're adept enough at it, you can. Or like for myself, like when I was a kid and I got trouble, I'm a Pisces, you know, so mm. we're all about like people say escapism and substance abuse. I haven't had that problem. <laughs> I was more into daydreaming. And okay. Getting out, getting out like that, you know, but like, did it's you find probably the better of the choices? I think so. I think so. <laughs> yeah. It, it would, it got me in like far less trouble, I think, you know. <laughs> but did you find yourself um, ever doing anything like that, like doing any of that kind of um, magic? You know, if I had had the skill set at the time, I probably would have. Okay. Um, but I really didn't possess those skills. So as far as I got was like meditation. And then, um, like being out there working the fields, there's kind of a different type of meditation that comes from that. Um, but I wouldn't classify it as astral projection. It was just, um, you, you know, connection with the earth and, you know, connection with the internal self. Um, but yeah, if, if I'd been able to, oh, I absolutely would have done some astral projection when I'd been in there. Some hedge witchery, right? <laughs> I always thought that stuff was pretty cool. I, I like the way uh, Raymond Buckland like would, would put it. He, I think he said that hedge witchery. I may be quoting him wrong. I'll probably like listen to this recording and go, I was wrong in saying this. Um, maybe, but I, I think he says like he made a comment about hedge witches before, saying that that was like one of the um, original like types of witchcraft or something like that. I mean. I don't know. I mean, I guess everybody kind of says that about their 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 witchcraft. But um, so, were you specifically Wiccan when you started out? Um, were you just like pagan and then you became Wiccan, or did you just kind of like eclectic? Or you have, did you have like a? I know labels are kind of difficult to talk about sometimes because, and especially like on a particular podcast, because like half of my guests <laughs> just don't like labels, and I'm okay with that. You know, right. I find myself being label fluid as well, <laughs> you know? 
so I, I did start off um, kind of Wiccan-ish. I'm not Wiccan. Okay. Um, um, I'm I'm pagan. I have a, a Norse pantheon that I primarily work with. I'm closer to heathen, but not quite. It's like this interesting mix, um, like a little bit of vulva magic, which is um, they were like the Norse witches. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely started off Wiccan because that is what was available. Um, and then it, it's evolved and it's changed. And I've done some work um, with Druidry and Egyptian magic. And e- even now, like if I need to work with Pan, I work with Pan. If I need to work with Kalima, I work with Kalima. I, I'm kind of open to any sort of magical energies. I just, um, I really like the Scandinavian flair. What, what is it about the Scandinavian uh, pantheons that draw you? Well, okay, so I have a particular interest in the pre-Viking period, which, like, I think is really weird because everybody's like, Vikings, 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 and the Vikings yeah, Vikings are, cool. are pretty big right now, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but I like I'm really, too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they're, they're pretty great, and they did a lot, and, you know, they did a lot of exploring, and, um, you know, they were quite intelligent, like, you know, gave us uh, a lot of words that we still use, but I'm really interested in knowing about what it was like before the Viking era. Um, you know, I I think that there was a significance to women that was over that's overlooked now that we tend to not put as much emphasis on. Um, and like a, a lot of this is just. Um, like intuitive and based on my research, but like the Desir are the female lineage. They're your female ancestors going back in line. You don't have female ancestors unless females are important in your culture. Um, same thing with, with the vulva. It was um, it was women's work, right? And a lot of people are like, oh, women's work, you know, that that's bad, but that's not what it meant. Mm-hmm. Like you, you have to remember that, that weaving and spinning, yes, these were women's work, but not because they were menial, because they were sacred, right? You go spin at the crossroads under a full moon and you talk to Hakate and it will change your life, you know? So I, I think um, for me, a lot of the interest is because the, the women were powerful and, and strong and Mm-hmm. They didn't take crap and like they held the keys to the house. You know, when um, when a man and woman got married, she was given the keys to the house. And like, you really? know, we might just be like, oh, you know, whatever. But like, that's significant. You know, that's a mark of status. And mm-hmm. um, plus, I recently um, I was interested before this, but I, I did one of those ancestry DNA tests where they they match you with a lot of the burial sites. And um, I have um, some genetic commonality with like the Burka Shield Maiden and some of the Icelandic burials. Now, granted, because it's a thousand years ago, so do a lot of other people. It's not like I'm the only one. But (laughs) that definitely definitely makes it a, a stronger connection in my mind. And I've always known about like like the Irish ancestry that I have and the Scottish ancestry. And like when I pulled up, 
my ancestry, it was like um, a few ancestors from India and the rest is like Northern European. And there was more than I thought there was going to be in, in Scandinavia. So um, really it's just, I, I feel called. You know, I, I do a lot of work with Freya and Odin and, and the Desir. Like, I love working with the Desir. They're so powerful. And, and the, the Norns, and it's, it's this magic that's not easy to categorize and put in a box. And I think that's why I like it is because it's not just like, okay, here it is. I, I literally like know nothing about pre-Viking period magic. I'm just like absorbing all this right now and going, this sounds really cool. Like just when you were talking, <laughs> Just when you were talking a little like a few minutes back, I had this image of like this like really like kind of grungy looking witch, like and he's like on this like really cold gray day near like this like fog laden lake, like just making stuff and it's really important to like the tribe, you know. Like I was like that was like in my wild Piscean imagination going, That's, that sounds pretty fucking cool. <laughs> you know? so, so yeah. when when the Voivos would come visit, like um <laughs> My research has shown that that they were wanderers a lot of times, and they would wander with these other women. But when they showed up, they were given the best seat. They were sat at the head of the table, and they were given food. Like it was an honor to have them there, and I, I think that's really cool, you know, because like we think we're like, oh, you know, Norse culture, big burly men, and like here are all <laughs> these women behind the scenes, you know, these really powerful women who were just like, no, 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 I'm sitting at the high seat. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that that sounds really cool. I mean, I, I think, like, I mean, I love the whole, like I said, I love the whole Viking thing as well, but, like, most of that was just kind of embellished. Like, the average Viking was, like, 5'6". Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, people, people, like, they didn't all look like Chris Hemsworth, you know what I mean? <laughs> oh, Sorry, people. Sorry. Sorry, everybody. They my bubble. <laughs> I just destroyed your bubble. <laughs> oh. <laughs> no, but that's um, but like the importance of the female energy and carrying that wisdom. I didn't know about that from the pre-Viking era until you just mentioned that, and it it reminds me of what I learned with um, India. You know, like pre like Aryan invaded India was the was much the same. You know, like the um, the household had the the female's name. They lived on hills, and the hills were named after the women. You know, especially in South India, the in South India they had more women. Even today in the Siddha tradition, they have more of an importance than men. Like uh, they say that a woman is equal to eight men. Hmm. I like that. I I need to find out more about that. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, the yeah, that's tradition. Okay, I know where my next research is going to be. Oh, it's it's pretty cool. It's, it's pretty cool. Yeah, for yeah, sure. For sure. Um, so I'm going to ask you some more about like, is this so? It's like heathenry kind of. I can you repeat that? Oh, Kazar, can you hear me? Okay. Can you hear me? Okay. Yeah. No, I can't. Okay. Got like a little bit of an yeah, echo going. Echo going. Yeah. Pardon me. Sorry, Pardon folks. Me. Sorry, folks. I won't edit this. I won't edit this. <laughs> Step away from my mic. Can you still hear me okay? Yeah, I can still hear you okay. okay. I'm not going to worry about that. Um, <laughs> echo, echo, echo. 
Um, so um, is this, uh, so is this uh, like your path is like, like, like a like heathen path, like kind of? Um, kind of, and also a hodgepodge. Like more than anything, I'm a witch, right? That's just the pantheon that I primarily work work with, and the the practices that I devote the most time to. But um, yeah, generally speaking, I'm pagan and I'm a witch, and um, a lot of it is, um, like I, I even say this in my book, it's like a salad bar, right? So you're going through and you're creating the salad, you're creating your beliefs, and if you don't want tomatoes, don't put them on your salad, <laughs> you know? So if, um, <laughs> like, you know, there there's monotheistic pagans. There's people who see all the gods as being part of like the one, the whole divine. And then there's other people who see the gods as like these individual singular entities. And like my view is kind of somewhere in between the two where it's like, um, I might not know Joe Schmo in Boston, right? But we're still part of the human race. So I, I think the gods kind of have this connection where some of them are like, oh yeah, this is my uncle or like, oh yeah, no, I know this one. And then other gods, they're like, I have no idea who that is. Um, so, but I, I definitely like to put um, a heathen flair whenever possible. Okay. Um, okay. I, yeah, it's, it, it's fun and it's, it's, it's powerful and it's, um, I, I kind of like that there's not a whole lot known about it because I, mm -hmm. I feel like this allows me to channel, you know, um, especially when I go into a trance state, I, I'm able to just kind of like channel some information. Okay, so let's talk about gods um, after experiencing this phenomenon a little bit that the listeners probably don't understand what's happening. But um, <clears throat> is there a particular form of deity that got you through incarceration through that hard time um Danya, uh she's a celtic goddess she's um very mother she's very maternal um she got me through um because i really needed that that nurturing and then um you know so when i was feeling the feels as one tends to do when when they're incarcerated um, I really felt like she was there to give me like like a shoulder to cry on. Um, yet now, like working with Frey, it's dramatically different because she's like, "Shut up and just get on with your day." <laughs> but um, back then, Danya was this soft, comforting, you know, very welcoming, forgiving kind of maternal energy that I really needed at the time. Okay, that's, that's that's good to know. And then you found like kind of like a paternal kind of type afterward when you like some time later. Yes. Um, so primarily, like right now, I, I work with Odin. Um, I've also worked with with Ganesh um, a lot. Ganesh is is incredible. He just breaks through any obstacles in your path. He's he's phenomenal. And um, it's kind of interesting because I don't really do a lot of work with um, the the Indian pantheons. And like mm -hmm. Ganesh is just like, no, we're working together. And I'm like, okay, who am I to argue? So, <laughs> um, the, the God aspects have been, um, I'm still developing them 
in a lot of ways and developing my, my connection with them um, because it did take so much for me to, you know, acknowledge the male energy, the male side of the divine. Um, it, it's been something I've been working on, but I, I find Odin very, very comforting because he's wise. He's also a bit of a smart ass, um, at least with me anyway. Like he does not coddle um neither does freya um they're not coddlers they're kind of like okay you have about 10 seconds to be sad about this then i'm bored and we're moving on and like <laughs> so like that's one of the, the things i love so much about paganism is like whatever deity you need there they are you know so um and like my father like i he's been out of the picture since I was 12. So like really developing these male energies and working with them, I've had to challenge what I was raised to believe men were. And you know, what life experience has taught me the interaction between me and males should be. So um, yeah, like uh, Odin's been great for that. Um, I've done some work with Kier um, as well. Um, Ganesh, though, like first time working with him, though, I was just blown away, just absolutely blown away. And and you don't think that from like an elephant god, you know, <laughs> but then like you're in his presence and he's there yeah. and he's larger than life and you have no choice but to be humbled. So, um, yeah, it's really expanded because I, I came from that that view where like the male patriarchal energy is like either very angry or a complete pacifist, right? And so um, I'm having to learn that there's all this stuff in between that men can be, you know, men can be, you know, strong and compassionate and, and leaders and partners and like equals and like all these things that our society doesn't let us think men are. Yeah. I think that right now there's a, a definite shift in the happening. I think because largely the um, it's like a sexual revolution, a gender revolution kind of happening. Mm -hmm. So it's given us it's we're actually as a society starting to question what masculinity is. What does it mean to be masculine? What does it mean to be feminine? You yeah. know, um, as as men, we are because I mean, I'm I'm a Gen Xer. And I kind of was born like more the latter of the generation, but um, I'm still old enough to remember being brought up to think that they have the idea that men shouldn't really be too sensitive, but definitely not like someone who grew up in the 50s or something like that. They were just like, bear man, suck it up, buttercup, and <laughs> just oil, and I got some more chores for you to do. <laughs> You know, I wasn't really raised so much like that, but um, you know, like right now, it's uh, there's still some some things kind of happening in society that are getting us to question these more. But if you're a man and you cry, it's okay. It's like a little bit more okay now. I, I think than what it was when I was like little. You know what I mean? Like it's like I think when I was a like little kid, it was like yeah, you have emotions, but you got to be the man. You got to be the, the care curious. The car breaks down in the road. You got to push that motherfucker up a hill. You have to, you know what I mean? Like, just show your strength. But um, now it's like it's okay if you if you say like, I mean, I don't know. You know, it's 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 okay if you can't. You know, having a beard doesn't make you a man. 
even having a penis doesn't make you a man. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And that's really beautiful because like I, I think like change happens with the swing of a pendulum. You know, like so like back in, in the in the generation like before yours or the earlier Gen X, you know, it was like, you know, oh be a man, men don't cry. And that was mm -hmm. really so much mental damage like the male suicide rates because like men thought it wasn't okay to talk about it yeah you know and, and you know now we're seeing this you know th this whole other side where it's like absolutely it's okay and you can you know be who you are and like identify how you want to be and like th that's how change happens and i think it's scary for a lot of people right now who are like oh no what's happening but like eventually it's, it's going to stabilize and it's not going to be like this big shocking thing like a lot of people think it is it's just like okay you know and that's, that's okay yeah i mean i was thinking about uh i i i get these thoughts every once in a while from uh, like things i study you know like uh the gender issue has been coming up quite a bit not so much on a podcast um, i'd like to talk about it a little bit more on this show, maybe in the future, but um, I was I was thinking about the principles of the universe because when we, when we when we deal with magic, right, we're dealing with like universal principles, just just elements and things that the universe just happens to be. And one of the hermetic principles is the principle of gender. But I was thinking about how it's not quite as black and white as people see it. And the reason I see it like that is so. An example would be like okay. The, um, and the seven hermetic principles, one of them is gender. So the universe has gender to it. Now, it doesn't really mean gender like male and female. Like it can mean, I think it does mean male and female, but I think there's more um, dynamics to it than that, right? So in the East, like we we're talking about uh, India a little bit earlier, in the East, there's, you know, the Shiva and Shakti. You know, so the Shakti is like the, actually the Shakti is considered the active aspect of creation, the Maya, very active aspect that, you know, that like, um, not just a nurturing, <clears throat> cold, dark aspect, but it's like the, the aspect that like produces something, right? But in other traditions, it's the passive aspect and the the male is, and that's, and I was, that used to kind of confuse me a little bit studying because I, I have a, a little bit of a background in um, Ayurveda and some some Chinese medicine. I'm not like a Chinese medicine doctor, but like I'm a body worker by trade okay. and stuff. So, you know, like uh, a lot of what I learned before was Eastern modalities, things like that. And I would come in my studies, I would come across these principles and it, it kind of confused me in the beginning because I'm like, it's like going, okay, over here, they're saying uh, the feminine you know, Shakti aspect is active. And then over here, they're saying it's passive. Which one is it? And it's like, it's both. <laughs> and the, so men can be kind of like, men can be nurturing. There's a nurturing aspect, you know, there's a aspect, not, you know, not, not all men are like Thor. <laughs> right. You know, yeah. I mean, I'm, so I was telling, I was telling my friend, because we were talking, we were talking about this. I was like, well, think about, there is a, you know, because the, the spectrum thing kind of gets people. I know this is, you know, social justice talk and people get really sensitive on this, but fuck it, I'm going to say it right now. Um, there is like the spectrum for me would be something like 
for masculine energy, you have like, uh, I don't know, like a scientist, maybe not very athletic, right? Like um, Neil deGrasse Tyson. And then you have LeBron James. They're both men. They both identify as being men, but mm-hmm. one might have more uh, yin energy than the other, you know? And I think that's sort of like that in all of nature. I think that that principle is kind of, does that make sense? It kind of, it's almost like yeah. an, an expansion on the yin and the yang, because yeah. like that there's like the, the black and white, but there's all this gray that we don't see. And there's like these varying yeah. degrees. Like it, I think it changes, you know? Yeah. yeah. And like some cultures viewed the moon as feminine, right? That's modern Wicca tends to view um, the moon as feminine, but you know, in other cultures that the moon was masculine and, and the sun was feminine. Neither's right, neither's wrong. It's it's perspective and it's varying degrees. And yeah, there's definitely different um, tonalities. Maybe I don't know if that's the right word, but different varying degrees of certain aspects. And I think mm-hmm. when we're talking about about gender, like if we keep it with, with male and female, we have to like expand the bubble. That, that they include and understand that there's a lot of overlap between the two. And like, you could almost put them one over the other because there's some men who have, you know, some more feminine qualities and there's some women who have some more masculine qualities. And then, you know, there's um, there's all sorts of degrees within there. So I, I, I like the, the Neil deGrasse Tyson example because like, you know, he's absolutely brilliant. Like some of the stuff he says, like borders on pagan principles. I'm like, <laughs> you know, so, um, yeah, I, I, I love that. There's, there's this energetic flow. And I think it, it's kind of like what, when people use terms like good and bad, it, it's like so limiting, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, it, what's good in one culture might be perceived as bad in another culture. Um, you know, like in ancient uh, in ancient Sparta, they practiced infanticide. Now we would find that abhorrent, but in that culture, it was like perfectly acceptable. And it, so, it, a lot of it's about perspective. And I think we're way too linear with a lot of our definitions. We're like it's A, B, and C, but it, it's not. Yeah, that's um, that's an ongoing theme on this podcast when I have people on is we kind of talk about different degrees of usually it's like different when we use that example it's like different degrees of good and evil we have like a like whole episodes just on that <laughs> seemingly you know um like Vitimus and I were talking about the uh the fae yeah have, have you done fa- uh, fairy work before um y- yes <laughs> okay. I was just curious yeah a, a little bit um there i grew up being accused of being a changeling child which i still don't know if my mom meant that as a joke or not but um i do know that they're very rambunctious they think they're hilarious that they, they they will go on about how funny they are whether you think it or not so, so yeah a little bit okay i was just kind of curious because like uh you know when we were talking to the one of the previous episode before this, you know, like I, I, I think I, I mentioned something about how I'm pretty sure 
to a phase mind like what we think of moral is not their idea of moral you know what i mean and just as and with other cultures you know but um kind of slightly going back well going back to your experiences in the big house <laughs> um like going out and, and uh doing like the the pumpkin so that could be kind of like a, like a way to connect too right to like spirits and stuff absolutely yeah that's yeah. one of the times in my life when i felt most connected like there is something very primal about like hard manual labor under the sun in the earth you know water exists within the pumpkins and then you've got the air like you've got you and the four elements and there's not really you know it doesn't matter what kind of shoes you're wearing when you're out there because everybody's in the mm -hmm. same boots you know it doesn't matter what your hair looks like or you know it's just you and the elements and so um it, it's very meditative and it's very connecting it's very reminiscent of you know early human beings toiling in the fields because not not because they were being made to like like i was but because they they were out there providing their own sustenance like everything they did if they wanted clothes they made them you know if they wanted to eat they grew it or they hunted or they gathered you know everything that they did was so closely connected to the earth because it had to be you know they and then like as society developed it was still it had to be you knew the farmer you know like hey i'm going to trade you this for this so even though you weren't working in the fields directly you still had this one degree of separation between you and your food and you were still doing this labor and um in my mind when i was out there you know, picking all those pumpkins and then later cutting firewood in the winter, like, yeah, chainsaw. <laughs> there was this, um, like, paying homage to the earth. Like, I'm, I'm putting in this work for you. And if, if it had happened in any other scenario, it would have been a really great honor, you know. Um, but even so, I was connected and I was part of the earth out there and like nothing teaches you gratitude, like being able to take a tomato off the vine and put it on your bologna sandwich like that, like will be a life changing experience when all you have is like bologna sandwiches for months and months and months, like, and then you get a tomato. It's divine. It's this true moment of just connection where you pick the tomato off the vine and, and you eat it. And it's unreal. It, yeah. You never taste anything like that unless you're out there picking it. Yeah. Um, I, like I said, I haven't had this experience, but I'm just thinking about that. Like, you know, taking something from the earth like that and just that that's got to be fantastic. And the fact that um, that's how our ancestors did before yeah. all the stuff that we have now, you know, um, and with a lot of people, especially, I don't want to say the younger generations, it's like an old man, oh, your kids don't know what it's like to pick your own food, you know, like, I mean, <laughs> but really, like, I mean, the idea of that now is, is, is 
like the first time I've ever, I've ever like harvested a tomato and ate it. It was literally one of the best foods I had in my life. I remember that moment. I was like, I was like, it's a really good tomato. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It, um, it, it's interesting earlier. You mentioned your experience with, with TCM cause I'm, I'm an integrative healthcare major. And so that's kind of like the, the combination of like natural mm -hmm. wellness with allopathic medicine. And so like, I, I always think about like the, the food deserts, like those places in LA where like you have to go miles to get a fresh vegetable. And like the, the fact that they're building like these gardens in these small plots of dirt in the middle of the concrete, like, and kids are like, oh, this is what a tomato looks like. That's that kind of tells you how far removed from the earth we are when we're like, oh, that's a tomato plant. Oh, okay, that makes sense. Like, yeah, it, yeah. It, it's it, it's a little, um, I, I don't want to say scary, but it is kind of scary to move that far away from the earth, you know? And mm -hmm. I, I'm just really glad that there's a lot of people who are trying to bring it back, like, even in small degrees. Like, it, there's something... There's something so important about knowing that the sun shines on the dirt and like somebody grows the food and then they pick it and then they give it to you instead of like, oh, you put this box in the microwave and, yeah, you, it yeah. and you don't know what it is. Like you're like, oh, that might be some cheese. Like uh, there's some green stuff in there. Maybe it's oregano. Maybe it's parsley. We don't know. We just eat it. And, you know, it's it's a completely different perspective than we had even 50 years ago. Like my, my grandma and grandpa grew vegetables and delicious, you know, and we, you know, for whatever reason, whether it's, it's time or lack of space or um, whatever, we, we get away from that. And um, I was really fortunate um, because like the, the schools that I went to um, had, had gardens, you know, and oh, look, plants. You know, um, but I'm a country girl, so so there's that. But um, yeah, I, I think it would be a great experience for like every school and and for prisons too. Like for for prisons, like the one I was at had all this green space. It's actually pretty. It, it was pretty for a prison. Um, it, it and there were like flowers and stuff like that. But like the ability to have people who are incarcerated go out and like tend a garden and, and work with their hands and, you know, have fresh vegetables and like give them that new understanding of the earth. It's, it's so important. Yeah. I think it's essential, it essential in order to, to connect to the, to the earth. To the earth. They at least have, have a few experiences here and there. Here and there. You know, yeah. you know, yeah. So, and doing what you're doing now. <laughs> what? I said uh, drinking water. Water. like you're like yes. water, like yes. having that connection yes. water is very important. It's very important. Yeah. 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 Well, just yeah. drinking water like helps your body stay in a um, a state of homeostasis. You know, it it your body knows what to do. We just don't give it the stuff it needs to do it. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Um, another thing I was going to ask you about, um, you can you hear me okay? Yeah. Okay, good. Listeners, can you hear me okay? Good. No. <laughs> good, good no. 
I wanted to kind of uh, get into some shadow work talk with you. Okay. Because when I think about um, the like the idea of being incarcerated, I think like a lot of that will be shadow work. Just like a bulk of the experience in itself can be shadow work. You know. Um, so did you have like long? It's probably a stupid question, but did you did you have long periods of silence in there as well? Uh, yeah. Well, I, I did when I moved to a two man, not so much when I was in a six man room, like it was never quiet, but, um, except like at night when everybody was asleep, but, um, you know, there were significant periods during lockdown where it's just, there's this stillness, um, like the walls are, are big cement blocks, right? So you can't hear um, the people next to you. Now, not all prisons are set up like this, right? Like there's some where they're just loud all the time. Um, it, the one I started at where I got my intake was just, it was like that. It, you could hear everybody. But um, yeah, the one where I did most of my time, there were these long periods where uh, of silence. And um, it's, it's interesting because you worded it, it could be periods uh, of shadow work. It could be. Mm -hmm. And that's what I'm hoping people will do with my book is use it as a time to work on shadow work because some people don't work on anything when they're in prison. They become better, better inmates, better criminals. They, you know, like, oh, I learned how to steal cars. So I'm going to go do that. But I, I, I like to think that more people than not don't want that and, and they want to do something different. And if they know that something can be different, then they will try to achieve it. Um, that's why it's so important for people who like have gotten out of prison and are doing things with their lives to let it be known that you can stop the revolving door of prison at any time. So the shadow work that takes place in there, there is a certain amount of change that just happens because you're in prison. It, it just does, whether you want it to or not. Um, part of it's fear, like your first time in prison, it's fucking terrifying. It's like, cause you have all these movies in your head, right? Like, you know, um, and then they have you watch all these Priya videos like, oh, don't take my chips. That's people who have been in prison will get that joke. Um, wait, 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 but, wait, sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. They have you watch <laughs> videos like the uh, so They have you watch videos that discourage you from like trading with other inmates. Really? Um, uh, yeah, so that huh. they have what's called the Prison Rape Elimination Act, which, like, it, you know, it, it's to make prison safer. Like, the the idea of it is a good idea. Like, nobody should go to prison and be raped. Like, um, but the videos are a little silly in the way that they're laid out because, um, like, the one that they show the women is like, there's this woman and she like walks up to this other woman and she's like, you want my chips? And it, the woman's like, I don't want your chips. I don't want to owe you for the chips. And it's just so silly, like, because that's not how it would happen. Okay. Right? Um, so they just, if they really discourage trade, um, it happens. Inmates trade. It just, it's a fact. Um, but it's really discouraged from DOC um, because, like, you know, you might end up owing somebody sexual favors for chips, they think. I, I don't know what they think, but that's what the video implies. So 
well, I see the point behind the video, it's almost comical. But they show you this video, your first day in, and you're in this orange jumpsuit that, like, in my case, is four sizes too big, and they won't give you anything else to wear for, like, a week while you wait for intake, and they assign you to the facility that you're going to go, and they, they put you in solitary confinement, essentially, for the first week, and you're just, you're in there, and you have books, and the lights never go off. It's just like constant lights, like they get dimmer, but they're still on. And um, so it's, if you've never been to prison, right, it's terrifying. You're like, you know, you're in this state where you're like, oh, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen. And then they make you like terrified to like be, be nice to anybody because of these videos and like, you don't want to owe people for chips, you know, and that's the, what you go in with. And then... Like, I'm not saying that, like, um, you should be besties with, with people who you're in a cell with, you know, like, because let's face it, a lot of people in prison are not good people, okay? Some are, some are, but a lot of people aren't. Um, but it's its own dynamic. It's its own world with its own rules. Um, it, in the sequel um, to Paganism for Prisoners, Pagans on Parole, which I just submitted the first draft of, I actually talk about this more in detail, how like some of the things that are rules in prison, you know, like, um, like, don't trade, you know, like, but if you go to your coworker when you're on, on the outside, and you ask to borrow a pencil, like nobody cares. So it, it's these adjustments that people have to make when they go from incarceration, especially if it's been a long time, like there are people who are getting out who've been in so long they they don't know what the internet is that they, they don't know how that works you know so it's this huge learning curve um so you know you get in and then like after the first couple of days you realize okay this isn't as terrifying um it's don't believe what what you see on tv i mean maybe some prisons are like that i haven't been to every prison thankfully but my prison experience was not like Orange is the New Black at all. It was not um, anything like that. So um, it was mostly it's people who are there to do their time. They just want to do their time and get out. Like nobody, there, I don't want to say nobody because there's always exceptions, but like very few people just want to spend the rest of their life in prison. You know, they, they have families, they have kids to get back to, they have, you know, um, people that they care about and lives and goals and dreams and anybody who can manage to keep their dreams when they get out of prison, like, like that's a win. That That's a win because like, uh, I'll tell you, I got out of prison in 2012. Okay. It's almost 10 years later. And if I go for a job interview, I still have to be prepared to explain what my felonies for, like what I learned, how I'm not that same person, like I will have to defend those felonies for the rest of my life. And that's not fair. That is not like you serve your time and, and you get over it. Like most people, are, oh, once you serve your time, it's just all better. No, like I have to tell people, unless I get my records sealed or expunged, I have to tell people for the rest of my life, oh, yeah, in 2012, I had a felony and here's what it's for. And like housing, um, I'm really lucky that my landlord is, is super cool and he's like, a, um, he, he's got a, a small, 
section of apartments, but it's really hard to find housing when you have felonies on your record. Um, you know, and so like people want to talk about like, oh, inmates just need to get out and like, you know, do what they need to do, but like you it's can't find a job. Yeah, no, if you can't find a job and you can't find a house and like you can't get loans because you know, like it's all these things are stacked against you. And it's kind of a miracle that like I'm not a recidivism statistic. It's kind of a miracle. Yeah. Um, and most people are, and I understand why, like, I wish it wasn't the case, but like immediately out of the gate, you're expected to pay for UAs and treatment. And like, you know, like maybe you don't have a driver's license. And so like, like my, my parole office was a two hour bus ride away because my County line, I was over the line by like 50 feet. So like I had to take a two hour bus ride, you know, a couple times a month. That's one way, by the way, two hours one really? way. Yeah. That's terrible. Yeah. yeah, to go to my parole officer um, for them to meet with me for 10 minutes and be like, okay, see you next time. You know, and they, they actually forgot about me on parole. I was on parole for three months longer than I was supposed to be because I kept getting new parole officers and they forgot I existed. And so like, I was like, when am I supposed to get off parole? And they're like, oh, we should have put in the paperwork a couple months ago, but now you're going to have to wait. Like it's these kind of things that um, make it infuriating and make the revolving door a revolving door. Like, if you're like, okay, I can work a job making $13 an hour and try and pay my rent, or I can go back to dealing drugs and, you know, stealing and all the other stuff I used to do where I actually used to make money. Like, it's a really hard sell. It's a it really, really hard is. Sell. I mean, like, yeah. I, I mean, not to get political, Sorry, people, if you're listening. Um, but I remember some years ago, about four years ago, I was uh, listening to Andrew Yang. Andrew Yang, the racist Yang. I speak Chinese, so I say Yang. Sorry. Um, Andrew Yang, or Andrew Yang, who was running for president, and he was talk He was on the Joe Rogan um, show, and he was talking about how when he was somewhere in the Midwest, like he went to some prison to visit inmates or something, and... Um, one of the CEOs in there says we should pay them to stay out of jail. And he said that because there's so many people going in that revolving door that you're talking about. And I think that a lot of this is just a part of, I'm no expert, obviously, you know, I'm hosting a kind of cult podcast. <laughs> I'm not a lawyer, but um, logic tells me though, that within the law culture, you know, the, like the culture of law, the, um, the penal system and whatnot, you know, it it makes it easy for people to return back to to prison to jail it's like it makes it it's it's the way it's set up the way you get stamped like that when you get out you know i had one one person in my family um do time one person and he had the hardest time just finding trying to find a regular job for years yeah. years i mean just um a, a friend of mine i know too he i mean He's had some substance abuse problems before as well. And um, he never, I think he just spent like one or two nights in jail, in jail, this regular regular county jail, you know. And it was hard for him to even find a job because of that. Like in, in the state of Florida, it was just like, you kidding me? <laughs> you yeah. know, so, you know, you have that and then you have the, the fact that um, 
you know, mass culture, they just have this idea that if you have, you know, we're human beings, first and foremost, yeah. we, you know, we, you can say we're spirits and human beings, whatever you want, but, but, you know, we have this human experience. So, um, you know, people say that a lot of the sages say that, you know, this earth life and human experience is like a university. Sometimes I'm like, well, if this is, if I'm in an earth school, Sometimes it gets a little bit tough, you know, but we all have our, our experiences and, it, you know, it's a waste of time to judge someone from, from their past, basically. That's what I'm babbling about now. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know, people have this this notion that if you've been to prison, it means you're like a quadruple murderer or like, a, you know, a pedophile or like, yeah. you know, like, it, and most people don't quote me on the statistics because it, it varies a little bit by state, but it's something like 70 to 85% of people who are incarcerated are in there for a drug related crime. I've heard that, yeah, before, that before. Yeah. And so like, it, and I know a lot of your listeners are probably like, how does this relate to paganism? Well, here's how, because if you want people to grow spiritually, right? We know Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Okay. They need to have food. They need to have a roof over their head. Like if you want people to um, undergo spiritual growth, they either have to be so motivated that nothing on the planet is going to stop them or they have to have these other needs met first. And so like people get out of prison and we're like, oh, sorry, you can't have housing. You can't have a job. If you do have a job, you know, you're going to have to work three of them because like you got to pay for UAs. And then we're like, but we also want you to change your life. Like, okay, great, thanks. Yeah, I'll get right on that. Yeah. You know, if I hadn't found a teacher right when I got out of prison, I might have gone back, you know, um, even as it was. Like, I, I love the comment you made uh, about this being like a university because everybody is one decision away from a DOC number, one decision. Um, I, somebody who I, who I was locked up with was in prison because some guy tried to touch her underage daughter and she stabbed him with a beer bottle. Ooh. Now she's got felonies. Like, you know, are we supposed to just like, oh, well, you know, it's, it, it's so, I think as humans, we have these ideas of like, oh, this is right and this is wrong and this is right and this is wrong. You know, but like it just my personal story, I overcame, you know, a lot of adverse childhood experiences. Like there's a lot of trauma. And most people who do drugs, like nobody's like, you know, when I grow up, I want to be a drug addict. You know, it, it happens because of all these things that happen when we're younger that society doesn't prepare us to deal with because like, oh, you have to go see a psychiatrist. Ha ha ha, you must be crazy. And that's the kind of attitude that keeps people from getting the help that they need. And so what do you do? You numb. You numb with drugs and you do things to get more drugs and you end up in prison and then, oh shit, you have a felony for the rest of your fucking life. Yeah. You know? And that's the story for most people who are in prison, especially the women. Like uh, with women, there's a lot of codependency, you know, um, striving for that um, affection from a father figure that we, that we never got. And so like, you know, and I'm not saying like it's the man's fault, you know, but it, it does contribute, 
you know, if you're in an abusive situation, right? And you're like, oh, but he loves me, so I can't leave. Or like, you know, um, and it goes both ways. Women, women can be abusive and controlling too. Like, I'm not saying it's just, you know, a one-way street, but like, if you're in a relationship and, you know, the person's like, you know, hey, you know, no, you need to wake up. We need to go, you know, break into these cars or, you know, break into these houses, you know, and, and you're afraid you know, or same thing with like sex trafficking victims, you know, sex trafficking victims should not be incarcerated ever, ever. I agree. And, you know, it's just this fucked up system that, you know, it starts from very small, like, oh, you know what, we're not going to give you any mental health treatment. We'll, we'll give you some drugs, though. You can, you can take some pills and, you know, and it starts this spiral and it's sickening. And it's disgusting. And if we, and it's a money-making scheme, because as long as people are like, you know, feeling trapped because they have to keep this job because they have to pay for their ankle monitor and their U-ways and their restitution, or they go back to prison, like, and so they're afraid to quit their job, they're afraid to go and do anything better. Like, it's control and it's money-making, and no fucking wonder people go back to prison. Like, mm -hmm. it's easier to kill your number in DOC than it is to be on parole. It is. Wow. It's a lot to do that. Yeah. Parole's fucking hard. Really? Yeah. yeah. What do you know? Uh, I know this is like um, getting into the law <laughs> conversation, but I have to ask, like, how long do you know um, statistics on how long parole lasts for people? I don't know the statistics. Okay. I I know for me it was it was two years. Oh, two years. So, yeah. Um, but it, it's going to change from state to state, and depending on what your crime is, like some people will have a longer parole than their prison sentence. Okay. And there's like there's there's a way that they calculate good time, and like I I don't understand all that, but my mine was two years. Okay, two years. So you've been out for almost ten years. And you've managed to solidify um, a wonderful practice for yourself, and now you're teaching, and yeah. you know you've written you you're you're uh, you've written one book. You're writing another. You submitted another one, <laughs> I guess. So right. you've done you've been doing really well for yourself, though. That's that's great. You know, yeah. um, on top of having the just the everyday challenges of what you were just describing before. You know in our conversation about like you know having like a what they call a spot on your record as if you know i mean it's i mean i could talk about that all day too because it just um i'd like to think that my thinking is quite progressive <laughs> you know like i mean I've, I've had i remember one time i know this is slightly off uh like topic a little bit but i was having a conversation with a friend of mine like a year ago at a coffee shop and <clears throat> He raised his voice at me because I said they should just abolish prisons. He's like, "What are you fucking crazy?" <laughs> I'm like, "No, they just should just abolish the idea." I mean, yeah, sure, keep away people who are gonna rape or murder you or whatever. But like stuff like drug offenses and whatnot, it's like you know, sex trafficking victims. Like, why should they be locked away from society? That's stupid. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> you know? There's um, an interesting experiment. I think it's Portugal, where they legalized everything. Everything. Yeah, Portugal. Like, it's Portugal. Yeah, 
Yeah, and so they took that money that they were spending on arresting people and put it into treatment. And they have seen arrest numbers. Drop. It works way better. <laughs> it's so it? much better. Yeah. Like people getting better. Imagine that. Mm -hmm. You know, like, holy cow, we can actually treat people and not just like keep them locked up and pretend they don't exist. Yeah, but it's just like prisons are um, public traded things. You know, they're traded on, on Wall Street. So it's just it's, it's pretty fucked up, actually, that I know. But like um, and then there's like the whole I mean, just there's so many different issues. But like when you were telling me about the pagan books being trash and stuff, like I'm thinking like it's really like Yeah. yeah. There's I've gotten so many letters from inmates around the country who said that like somebody will order books for them. And like if it's not the clergy that throws them away, the clergy like encourages inmates of another faith to throw them away or destroy them. Really? Like really? yes. Yes, it is. And, and not only is that like really fucked up, it's a violation of rights. It is. It's, it is. It's a human rights violation. Like if if they allow um inmates to have crosses they should allow pentagrams like it but they don't and, and that's you know and and like i said some states are better than others you know that the state i live in i actually get consulted with from time to time about like hey you know what's the difference between a tarot deck and an oracle deck and should they be allowed to have both and i'm like yes and here's the difference and here's why you know so like um like that's awesome but a lot of states don't give a shit yeah. don't give yeah. a shit yeah i think like, yeah, I think like, like you're more west, west i guess yeah i'm, I'm in colorado colorado of course you're in california, california so you're you're more, west, you're more west but living in but like, living the, in south, like the, it's, the south it's not the same not the same no yeah yeah no and um i i can only like I thankfully have never been to a prison in the South, so I can only go off of what I've been told from inmates, um, you know, and and so some of that may be true, some of it may be exaggerated, it may be a little of both. Um, mm -hmm. But I've had more than a few tell me, "Hey, we can't get pagan books. They won't let pagan chaplains in. They won't let us meet, even if there's ten of them that want to meet and just hold Sabbath." Just so, or as that, just we just want to honor the, the full moon, right? And they're not allowed to. And it, that's such an egregious violation of rights. It is. And, it is. And, <clears throat> I mean, there's a lot of violation of inmate rights because once you're inmate, like you stop being a person. Yeah. Um, yeah. In a lot of those places where you're just like one, three, seven, two, nine, four, you know, that's who you are. Yeah, you're a you're yeah, a number. You're a, you're a number. Mm -hmm. Not like a human Not being. Like a human being. But, um, but um, but you're successfully, you're successfully able to keep Sabbaths and locked up, right? Locked up, right? You had a calendar. Like calendar. Um, yeah, I've actually before COVID, um, I did sowing in a prison with the inmates, and like it, it was amazing. I had so many. There were like like 30 in there or something like that not all of them were pagan but 
one of the things that I've always held is anybody who comes with a genuine interest is welcome. I don't care what faith they identify as. Um, even, if, even if they're a little bit skeptical, I can handle that. You know, like it, it's more important to, to have it and to have it be accessible than to be like, oh, sorry, you're Catholic, you can't show up. Like, and anybody who wants to attend should be able to. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. I mean, can you imagine yeah, living in like a different country, country doing this? I actually, that's one of my goals. Like, I really want to move to London. Um, I really? got, really? yeah, no, I got a passport last year. And I had never been off this continent and I went to London and now I'm obsessed with it. And so one of the things I want to do is move over there. And, you know, I, I kind of imagine myself like being a citizen of the world where I spend a lot of time here and a lot of time there. And I do like a lot of work in prisons and like a lot of work in education and like preparing other people to go into prisons and that kind of thing. But yeah. So shameless plug, if you know of anybody hiring in the UK, send them my way. We um, have listeners yeah. in the UK, actually. Yeah? Yeah. Like, yeah. Especially in the book industry or, you know, prison industries. Like, I'm kind of open. Um, but, yeah, it's, and I think it means so much because there was a time, like, I, there's a lot of lies inmates believe. Like, they think you can't vote and you never get to leave the country. And both of those are false. Like, you can't vote while you're on paper but as soon as you're off paper you can vote and like i got a passport and like they let me in no problem and like even to get a visa there um i i'm able to do that you know i just of course have to jump through extra steps because my rap sheet is like taller than me um but like there are things like graduated college you know a lot of people think for whatever reason you can't get financial aid if you have felonies like there's all this misinformation out there you know so if people are out of prison do something with your life you know that there are going to be a few restrictions like you probably can't work for the cia i'm, I'm going to say they're probably going to tell you <laughs> uh you know I, I don't know how med school works because they have like an ethics board and all of that. But like, I'm a firm believer that if you can talk passionately enough about it, there's really very few things you can't do. And, you know, I'm big on owning my past. Like I did my crimes. Like I did. I wasn't one of those, oh, I was wrongly accused. Like I'm fucking guilty of what I did. But because of that, I get to do all this amazing shit now. Like, like come on podcasts and write books and, and help other people realize that their life doesn't just have to be one long prison sentence. And like, so even though it's really inconvenient to have um, a DOC number that's going to be with me for the rest of my life, probably, um, I still wouldn't trade it because the, the path that it put me down led me here. And it's taken a lot of work, but I'm really proud of where I am now. I'm happy to hear that. To hear That's that. wonderful. That's wonderful. Yeah, I'm really glad that, yeah, you, really glad that you, you've been on here to share the story and everything, story though. everything, though. Well, let's talk, well, let's talk magic for magic a little bit. Okay. Because we, you know, this, we, uh, you know, this uh, magic is very popular in podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I understand that one would be quite limited for tools 
locked being locked up, of course. You know, like mm-hmm. you're not, you might not have access to certain herbs. If you have a visitor that sends you certain herbs, they probably get confiscated if they look like, you know, Pablo Escobar's cocaine or something. You know, I don't know what it, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um, so I would imagine that like uh, you you would have some like and, and in your book, you know, like like you have like like different rituals to do things like that. Um, you would probably have some bare bones things to work with and yeah. stuff though you know like we like we, we mentioned like you want have an athame you know you're not you might not have a fancy chalice but you can use a dixie cup or something <laughs> or a very small chalice like you had yeah you know um so when you were doing like magic because like I, I keep getting this image of you know like you being placed with like maybe two other people or a few other people in there in there and they were okay with the um yeah and once again i'm only speaking for the facility that i was at but there's um you have to have i think it's either two or three people of the same faith group who want to get together and um and then there's like a faith property box you know that might have some things that you can't take to your cell but like um things that may have been donated like there was a candle in there that we obviously couldn't light, but it was symbolic anyway so um yeah it was like my very first ritual ever you know took place in like one of the activities rooms with like two other people and we had no idea what we were doing but but we figured it out and you know we used the ritual that we found in a book and we're like okay well we don't have this and we don't have this and we don't have this and we don't have this but something important I learned, and, and I talk about this in my book, is you are every tool you need. Like the pageantry is great. You know, like we love the robes and we love the athame and we love, oh, Diana, great goddess. You know, we love it. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. You know, um, cauldron smoking and all that, you know, it creates this real ambiance. But when you get down to it, all you need to do magic is you, you know? Um, all elements are contained within our body. You know, if you hold your first finger up, that's your wand. That's your thame. You know, if you cup your hands, that's your chalice. It's your cauldron, you know. Um, yeah, everything everything that we need, we already contain. But the, the one I was at, like, that, there were some hoops. They weren't always happy about us meeting. Um, but better than a lot of places i'll say that and like when i've gone in as a volunteer like they have been like yeah no oh you want to bring this in you want to bring this okay like fill out these forms we'll let you bring it in just make sure it leaves with you you know um so and that's pretty amazing because like you know i volunteered at the same prison i was at you know and they just yeah at, at both of them actually and they um that the staff at one more than the other one's a medium security one's a maximum security so that accounts for a little bit of the difference but at the medium security one um you know like they've been helpful they've been willing you know they want people to find their faith and it's actually one of the other faith groups like brings in like pizzas and like knives and like i'm like how do they like get all that stuff in (laughs) you know um 
I, but I, I never did. Like, I never tried to bring a lot, you know, because you don't need a lot to be pagan. You, you don't need a lot to host ritual. You don't need a lot to meditate. You, you don't need anything except for you and a desire. Okay. Okay. You said earlier too, when we first started uh, recording that before you went to prison, you were pagan before, or you were smoother pagan. Okay. What was that like? What was that like? Well, so I I came across my my first book of magic when I was about seventeen. No idea to this day how the hell I got this book. It manifested and appeared in my life, and. Actually, I'll actually say the name. It was um, To Ride a Silver Broomstick by Silver Ravenwolf. It was the very first magic book I ever owned, right? And, like, I was reading through this book, and, like, I had always thought that, so, like, I'd be in Sunday school, and I'd be like, I have a question. If we're created in the image of God, why don't men have babies? Like, and, you know, like, they never were able to give me an answer. And I, I like absolutely obsessed over the history channel show back when history channel actually showed shows about history you remember like yeah i do i do yeah and like so like um i'd watch stuff about ancient egypt and ancient greece and i'd watch it over and over and like i was always like i wonder how come nobody ever believes this like why don't people still believe this what happened where did it go and then i picked up that book from silver raven wolf and i was like oh my god other people believe what I believe. I'm not the only one. And it was very much like, you know, I, I was home. And then, um, you know, I started getting more into drugs and like, I was still, I was, I was still pagan, but like, it was very surface level for me. You know, um, a lot of it was about like anger at Christianity versus actually embracing the gods, you know, and, and, and that's okay. Cause people start where they start. You know, and um, and like so, so I always carried that, and like I just never really did anything with it. But I was like, okay, I know what I identify as. I'm pagan because Silver was told me that other people believe this, and that's good enough for me. Like, you know, and then it was really when I went to prison that it stepped up a notch for me. So, so before that, it was like this real surface level, you know, like yeah. I'm pagan. Look, I have a pagan tattoo. Oh, that's how I express my faith. And, you know, just very 20 something, you know, very, very 20 something. And, and after prison, it just, it took on depth for me and, and became very real and very personal and not so surface level. So, um, yeah, but I, I tell people I was born, I was born a witch. I just didn't know it until I was like 16 or 17, you know, because back when I'm asking those questions and my grandma's like, why do you have to be such a pain during Sunday school? And I'm like, I'm just asking questions, you know, like even, even back then I knew that I thought differently. I just didn't know there was a name for it. <laughs> Sit down and read your Bible. <laughs> and I come from a Southern Baptist upbringing. Oh, so, wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. I hate witches. I hate witches. They, they do. However, my, my family is, um, they're tolerant. They're, okay. That's good. That's good. Yeah. That's, and I'm like, okay, that's, that's fine. Yeah. Like my brother even wants a copy of my book. And I'm like, oh my God. Really? So, that's great. Yeah. 
Yeah. So e even though like there's that very Southern Baptist kind of thing, I feel very comfortable around my family. They're like, oh yeah, she's the witch to the family. I'm like, yeah, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's okay. Well, um, I think we're going to close here, but before we do, where do we find you? Where did the shot of listeners find you again? We repeat okay. this all the time. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that's great. So um, on Facebook, I'm Alwyn Dawn Official. I had a fight with Facebook. That's why the official's on the end. Really? Yeah, no, I had I had a page and like it got hacked and like no matter how many pieces of evidence I sent them, they wouldn't give me my page back. So I just had to like scrap it and make a new one. So it's Alwyn Dawn Official, A-W-Y-N-D-A-W-N. Um, and then on Twitter and Instagram, it's Alwyn Dawn, A-W-Y-N-D-A-W-N. Um, and then my book, Paganism for Prisoners, Connecting to the Magic Within, is available for pre-order. It comes out December 8th. Uh, it's available on Llewellyn, Amazon, Barnes & Noble. It's probably going to be in a lot of metaphysical bookstores. Fantastic. Oh, and, and anybody who tags me in social media um, will get a signed author plate um, while supplies last. So I have all these author plates prepared. I will sign you one and, and send it to you no matter where you are. So. Excellent. Excellent. Thanks for coming on here. Yeah, was, thanks for having yeah. me. It was yeah, I would like to have you come back too again, you know, okay. have, some, have some more talks. Because, uh, I mean, I there's always like more um, we can dive into this because this is like something that I haven't really came across a lot of, you know, there's not like a lot of this kind of social justice work with, with the, the pagan community. I haven't, at least I haven't really found very much of it, you know. Well, I, I think it's going to be huge in the future because yeah. um, according to a lot of statistics, the pagan faith groups are the fastest growing faith groups in jails and prisons. Really? Yeah. I mean, even, I'll oh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh yeah. No, it makes a lot of sense. Like if you're, if you're looking for something, right yeah. and like paganism's like oh we don't care like we don't care that you're a felon you're still welcome like yeah and i know like even in just like contemporary society it's growing you know like it's, yeah. it's growing a little bit because people are i mean no offense to my wonderful christian listeners um <laughs> it's like two um <laughs> but uh but like um yeah a lot of people are are, are People are kind of coming back to to roots, you know. They're they're mm -hmm. finding, you know, spirituality. If I can say spirituality, it's very vast, you know. And um, this thing we call magic, this thing we call like work with the elements, is becoming a little. It's becoming more popular now, a little bit. Um, I don't think so much in like a fad way, but I think because people are are, are yearning to connect to something that's like here, you know, that brings them here within and here, you know, in here and now like that. So. Yeah, so I'm pretty excited about the future. I'm excited about the new Aeon, you know? I, I am too. And it's really been an honor to get to create this book and feel a real need because like books like this don't exist. Yeah, yeah, they, they really don't. You know, they really don't. And um, yeah, I was uh, very, very blessed to be able to read it before it comes out. This is my first yeah. time ever like, getting any kind of advanced copy of of anything and reading and going, oh, this is pretty cool, you know? 
Um, I've learned a lot. So I thank you and appreciate you being here. And uh, yeah, paganism for prisoners, everyone. It will be out in December, right? Is it December? De December 8th, um, so, January 8th in Canada and the UK. Yeah, sorry, Canadians. You guys are going to wait a little, a little bit longer. <laughs> or, or just drive over the border. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and as for me, for, for anybody who's listened to this podcast long enough, I'm Roderick Z. You can find me at Roderick Z at Proton Mail. Com if you like to hang out on the show for a little bit. Um, I'm also on Facebook in the group. I'm a moderator for a discussion group called the Lords of Chaos. No, we do not cause chaos. Just a very metal sounding name. And uh, I'll see everyone next time. Peace. Happy summoning. <laughs>